0: As we've studied the book of James, James has told us a lot about what not to do. But in this section, in chapter five, verses 12 through 15, he'll give us a divine prescription of what to do in troubled times. Are you in trouble? Are you sick? Are you happy? Have you been struggling with a besetting sin? Well, these four categories, James will address in this message. And man, how we need to hear about this divine prescription for troubled times. It's today.
1: On Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael.
0: Oftentimes, when we pray and we're in a troublesome situation, we say, Lord, get me out of this. I'm right with you. Lord, I want to be healed right now. Lord, this difficult person. Lord, this difficult situation. But oftentimes when people prayed and stood firm, the Lord entered into their situation, whether it was a fiery furnace or a lion's den or difficulty dealing with temptation or whatever it may be. The Lord doesn't necessarily remove our problems the moment we pray, I'm sure you've noticed but he promises to enter into that situation and be our strength so that we can persevere and make it through. Prayer becomes the channel by which you call upon God's resources and stop trying to just use your own. And many times what we do is use prayer as the last resort. I've tried plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I guess now... (laughs) We'll pray. Well, that should not be our attitude, but oftentimes it is. Or sometimes we feel like, Lord, I don't want to bother you with this thing again. Right? We feel like we've been beating the doors of heaven so many times over the same thing. But the idea is that we ought all to, always to pray and not to lose heart. You can reference Luke 18, 1, because the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And so if you're under trouble, if you're in pressure, pray. In his book, Legacy of, the Sovereign, of Sovereign Joy, John Piper writes, At the age of 16 in the year 371, Augustine sneaked away from his mother in Carthage. During the night, he sailed away to Rome, leaving her alone in her te- tears and prayers. How were these prayers answered? Not the way Monica, Augustine's mother, hoped at the time. Only later could she see that praying is the deepest path to joy. Augustine himself wrote these words. And what did she beg of you, my God, with all those tears, if not that you would prevent me from sailing? But you did not do as she asked you. Instead, in the depth of your wisdom, you granted the wish that was closest to her heart. For she saw that you had granted her far more than she used to ask in her tearful prayers. You converted me to yourself, so that I no longer placed any hope in this world, but stood firmly upon the rule of faith, as you turned her sadness into rejoicing into joy far fuller than her dearest wish, far sweeter and more chaste than any she had hoped to find. Sometimes we pray and what we're asking for is something smaller than maybe what God wants to do. But at least we're putting it before him and asking for his his help. So is anyone suffering? Look at uh, verse 13, which is now part B. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. So now we're told if we're having a good week and things are going well, the right response may not be specifically prayer for help, but it may be praise to God and praise specifically in song. In fact, the Greek word here is salo, where we get the idea of a psalm. The word is used in the Septuagint, the Hebrew or the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament to reference a music with a harp to sing songs of praise Praise and prayer, of course, are closely related. Praise is actually a form of prayer, and both are essential for spiritual strength and for those undergoing persecution. Remember when Paul was in prison? He began to sing songs at midnight with his missionary partner, and everybody heard it. But the right response to joyful times is still to include God in them and not just say, well, everything is cool, so I don't need to pray. But the right response is praise. And I'm hoping that many of you are not just listening and joining into praise just on Sunday mornings. I hope when we pray, oh, 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 is on your car during the week. And maybe you're letting some of the oh, 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 go out the car window. That's all right. People don't think you're talking to yourself anymore because they know you have those speakers on the phone. So you can sing in your car. You can, you can talk to God. Nobody will think you're crazy anymore. It's wonderful. So you can just sing it out. It used to be that if you're doing that, people would go, what in the world? But now it's cool. You can sing in your car. You can pray in your car. You can blast praise music. Everybody else is blasting their music. Why not? You can send a message out your car door window. Are you happy? Then praise God. Sometimes I've noticed that even when I'm not so happy, maybe there's not an automatic smile on my face. I come into this place on a Sunday morning, praises begin to go up, and all of a sudden my mood, my heart, my attitude changes. Amen. Praise redirects me. Because it takes my eyes off of me because I, when I wake up in the morning, you know, it's not always pretty. <laughs> Anybody else? I mean, even after I have coffee, it's not always pretty. And so I need, oftentimes, a change of attitude, a heart change. And I come in, and the praises of God begin to go up, and my heart changes. One writer says, My sister bought a new car that was loaded with high-tech options. The first time she drove the car in the rain, she turned a knob she thought would start the windshield wipers. Instead, a message flashed across the dash Drive car 360 degrees. She had no idea what that meant. So she went home and got uh, the manual out, which I always do as a last-ditch effort. But anyway, she learned that while trying to turn on the windshield wiper, she had inadvertently turned off the internal compass, and the car had lost its sense of direction. To correct the problem, the car had to be driven in a full circle, pointed north, then the compass had to be reset. Each time we gather to worship, says this writer, we are resetting our internal compass. We establish true north in our soul, remembering who God is and what his truth proclaims. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and he heard my cry, but I need to cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon uh, a rock, making my footsteps Firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to God. Many will see and fear and trust in the Lord. And sometimes that's what I just need to do. I just need to sing a new song. I just need to allow God's word and praise to him to redirect the compass of my life. So if you're in trouble, pray. If you're happy, praise. Don't make false promises. Don't make oaths. Don't complain but seek the Lord, the one who is higher than you. Next one is verse 14. Is any among, anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them, the elders, pray over him. The word over is epi, would seem to be above. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, if you're sick, there is a prescription, and the prescription, notice in the verse is really upon the sick person to call for the elders of the church. This establishes a few things that need to be mentioned. Number one, that churches established in the early first century had a plurality of elders leading the congregation. So in every church, elders were put in charge, if you will. And the idea of the word elder can, can mean older in age, but the primary meaning is one who is spiritually mature. And so each congregation has elders, a plurality of elders, overseeing it and being under shepherds of the chief shepherd and ministering to the flock of God. And if someone is sick, they are to call for these elders, these leaders of the church who are defined in several places in the New Testament as men who have one wife. There's no question about their spiritual maturity or their commitment to the faith. You could look at first timothy 3 1 for example and following and so if anyone is sick among you notice verse 14 that person is to call for the elders it would seem that in calling for the elders maybe the person is at home bedridden and in a serious situation in terms of illness and so they must make the call either through a loved one or a friend or in our times a telephone or an email or a text message to call and say hey i'm sick This establishes something that I think is important, especially in churches that are a little bit larger, and it's hard to track where everybody is. Sometimes we find out somebody's sick through a prayer request. Sometimes we hear in the church office. Sometimes somebody on staff knows somebody's sick, but we don't always know when you're sick. And so the only way we can really know is if you tell us and ask us to come and pray for you. And sometimes what happens in churches is that Communication breaks down and a person's gone two or three weeks and maybe someone missed it. Maybe we didn't notice. You know, we are human. And so we need to put the ball into your court to ask us to pray for you. And that is the biblical formula. Ask for prayer. And some of you don't want to ask. Sometimes when we're really, really sick, we don't want to broadcast it because it could be a number of reasons. Maybe we don't want to burden people or maybe, just maybe it could be Our pride. We don't want to say we're vulnerable. And look, I don't like being vulnerable as much as you don't like being vulnerable. But unless you call for the elders of the church, if they don't hear through the grapevine of the networks that we have, they're not going to know you're sick. They may not even realize you're missing. And so it's incumbent upon the church to call for the elders. And if you call to us, we will come. We will figure out a way to get to you and we will figure out a way to pray. In fact, it's our happy privilege to pray for you, to come alongside you and to say, let's call to the Lord together. Many, many times over the last 20 years in this position, I have cried out to the Lord on behalf of many, many people, some of my own family members, but many, many times in hospital rooms, in homes where someone, you know, their own mortality was waning. hey listening family this is pastor michael i want to tell you a little bit about a college that we have going it's called the truth academy it meets at living truth christian fellowship in the city of corona and it's an apologetic school with also an emphasis on theology do you want to grow in your faith do you want to be more equipped to share your faith in the public square well this school will help you and here's joe kelly the director of the truth academy to tell you more
1: Thank you, Pastor Michael. Boy, has there ever been a time where the need has been greater for God's people to know what they believe and why they believe it? Well, the Truth Academy is here to help the believer contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So I would encourage our listeners, Pastor Michael, to go online to thetruthacademy.com, take a look, see what we have to offer. Our classes are available either in person if you live in Southern California. Or if you want to take a class online, that's available too. You can learn from the comfort of your own home. Once again, that's thetruthacademy.com. We look forward to having you as a student in the near future.
0: Thanks, Joe. That's exciting news. Thetruthacademy.com to give reasons for faith, reasons for hope in our culture. Man, it's so desperately needed. Check it out today. Thetruthacademy.com. And if you call to us, we will come. We will figure out a way to get to you and we will figure out a way to pray. In fact, it's our happy privilege to pray for you, to come alongside you and to say, let's call to the Lord together. Many, many times over the last 20 years in this position, I have cried out to the Lord on behalf of many, many people, some of my own family members, but many, many times in hospital rooms, in homes where someone, you know, their own mortality was waning. And we cried to the Lord. And we all have to admit, as we look at a difficult passage like this, that when we've cried to the Lord, it hasn't been an automatic healing. You know, there's been many, many times when we've anointed people with oil, and we've prayed over them, and that person has not been made well. And they have not been raised up. And so we're going to ask some questions about James' statement here, acknowledging that there is no parallel passage to this in the whole New Testament. So if there was somewhere else I could take you and say, okay, here's another place that we can compare this teaching, I would, but it doesn't exist. There's a place in Mark 6 that tells about the apostles going around with oil and healing people in the gospel ministry that Jesus commended them to, but that's the only thing we have outside of that. And so we're going to break down some words. First of all, in verse 14, and I'm going to move a little bit more slow than maybe in past weeks because... It's a little bit more technical, and it deserves uh, us to break this down. See the word sick there? Is anyone, verse 14, among you sick? The Greek word is astheneo. It is spelled A-S-T-H-E-N-E-O, astheneo. It means generally to be weak, to be feeble, to be without strength, or to be powerless. The word is translated sick 18 times in the New Testament. It is used 14 times in the New Testament to refer to emotional or spiritual weakness. And there have been some that have approached a very difficult text and said, since the main thrust of the book of James has been trouble and persecution, he's just simply continuing with that theme. And this is not bodily illness that he's dealing with, but he's dealing more with someone who's emotionally drained or someone who is so persecuted and so beat up that they have nothing else, no more strength, nothing more to give. They're hanging on by a thread, if you will. Douglas Moo, in a great commentary on the book of James, argues, though, that when asthaneo is used in the sense of spiritual weakness, it is made clear by a qualifier. The person, for example, was weak in faith or weak in conscience. You can reference Romans 14.2 and 1 Corinthians 8.7, respectively. Secondly, he argues that James' most relevant material comes from the Gospels, (coughs) excuse me, where Asanao almost always refers to physical healing, and he's not referring here to the epistles. Peter Davids writes, this at once indicates that a person is very ill, perhaps too ill to go to the elders, and so he sends friends and relatives to let the elders know to come and pray. And so this is a sick person who has come to a point where they're going to ask for oil. Now, I don't think it should just be done on a whim. Oh, I have a cold. I'm going to call the elders of the church to come over and pray for me. I have a sore throat. I'm going to call for the elders of the church. But there is a time, and I think it has to be led by the Holy Spirit for the individual, where you say, you know what, I'm going to ask the leadership of the church to come and pray And call to the Lord. And it doesn't mean that you haven't already been praying over the situation. Because I'm sure you have, right? We start out by praying, seeking the Lord. And now we ask the church to join us. Praying over the individual would perhaps indicate, and we can't be dogmatic on this, that the person is in a sickbed and the elders are over that person, anointing that person with oil in the name of the Lord. If you want the cross-reference for the disciples doing this, it's Mark 6, 12 and 13, where it says, they went out and preached that men should repent, Mark 6, 12 and 13, and they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. And so that's something that the apostles did, and really the only other place that we have to cross-reference. So what do we make of the oil? Let's talk about the oil for a moment. Some people have argued that in the first century oil was medicinal and it certainly was. It was recommended for toothaches and the like. And so oil was an ancient medicine. In the story of the good samaritan, Jesus says that he came to this one taken among thieves and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. He put him on his own beast, brought him to an inn and took care of him. Luke 10:34. And so there is a place in the ancient world for oil being medicinal. Ancient sources talk about the medicinal value of oil in many different contexts, but not for everything. But in fact, there's even an ancient source that says it's the best even for paralysis. What James may be saying then is the elders should come to the bedside of the sick person armed with both spiritual and natural resources. That's a possibility. Maybe they're to pray and the oil is more medicinal. The prayer would be then uh, with the oil and with the laying on of hands, perhaps, and there's a twofold idea. Evidence that anointing oil was used for any medical problem, though, is not found. And why mention it only, uh, only one, albeit widespread, remedy when many different illnesses would be encountered? Why just bring oil, in other words? Secondly, says this author, Why should the elders of the church do the anointing if the purpose is solely medical? If you need your back rubbed with some oil, you probably are not going to call one of the pastors, right? And I hope you don't. As another pastor put it, you may be ready for that, but we're not ready for it. (laughs) So great discernment is obviously needed. In these moments. If you're sick, hurting, need a bone reset, don't call us. (laughs) In the sense, if you just need medical attention, right? But if you need prayer, we should be the first ones you call, right? Especially if you are dealing with a grave illness. The second view, first was medicinal. The second is oil was used sacramentally. A sacramental understanding of this practice arose in the early history of the church on the basis of this text. The early Greek church practiced what they called euk elyon, a combination of the words euk prayer, and elion oil, both used in this text, which had the purpose of strengthening the body and the soul of the sick. The Western church continued this practice for many centuries, as well as using oil for anointing on other occasions. Later, the Roman Catholic Church gave the priest the exclusive right to perform the ceremony known known as extreme unction. And this ceremony is, if you're in the Roman Catholic Church and you are on your deathbed, and the idea is that you are probably going to be moving on and leaving this world, a priest comes with oil and anoints you in this ceremony to prepare you for the next world. And so extreme unction is the idea. Making sure that you're right with God in these final moments is the idea. But clearly, this developed sacrament has little basis in James' text, says uh, Douglas Moo. He recommended anointing for any illness uh, and associates it with healing rather than preparation for death. So he's not calling for the elders of the church to pray for you to get ready for you to go to heaven. He's saying they should anoint you to pray that you would stay in this world. Everybody with me? So the idea of coming with oil and interpreting James' passage in this way doesn't fit with the context. There are some that believe the oil could be considered to have a sacramental function in that it could act as a vehicle of divine power. Much as partaking in the Lord's Supper could convey a strengthening grace from the Lord. So some would say that the oil perhaps is set apart, especially for the Lord, in the healing of the sick believer. But I would say that we must be careful that we don't place any magic in the oil. We must be careful that we don't take an element like oil and think that somehow if we show up with it, that we're going to get God's favor. There's another view, and it's probably the view that most of us would hold, that the oil was used symbolically. Illustrating the anointing of the Holy Spirit and his special love and attention to the sick believer. Uh, oil was used in the Old Testament, for example, to set aside priests when they would, or set aside uh, kings and priests when they would enter into the ministry. The key idea is to be set apart for God's special attention and care. And so I think a good place to land here is that when you come with oil and a group of elders to the home of a sick person and anoint them, You are especially setting them apart for the operation of the Holy Spirit to move in their life. You're saying, Lord, we're coming in obedience to you with this oil. Luther and Calvin, by the way, just so you know their view, argued that this particular practice was limited to the apostolic era or the apostolic age. So Luther and Calvin, we may respect in many different areas, but they argued that James' passage here has nothing to do with the ongoing ministry of the church, was relegated simply to the ministry of the apostles. So that the apostles were, were able to do this, but no one besides them. But why would James tell the elders of the church? He doesn't address the apostles to go and pray for the sick person. He says the elders should go and pray for them which would indicate that this is in the local church and in the ongoing ministry of the life of the church. Hey, listening family, this is Pastor Michael. I want to tell you a little bit about a college that we have going. It's called the Truth Academy. It meets at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona, and it's an apologetic school with also an emphasis on theology. Do you want to grow in your faith? Do you want to be more equipped to share your faith in the public square? Well, this school will help you. And here's Joe Kelly, the director of the Truth Academy,
1: to tell you more. Thank you, Pastor Michael. Boy, has there ever been a time where the need has been greater for God's people to know what they believe and why they believe it? Well, the Truth Academy is here to help the believer contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So I would encourage our listeners, Pastor Michael, to go online to thetruthacademy.com. Take a look. See what we have to offer. Our classes are available either in person if you live in Southern California. Or if you want to take a class online, that's available too. You can learn from the comfort of your own home. Once again, that's thetruthacademy.com. We look forward to having you as a student in the near future.
0: Thanks, Joe. That's exciting news. thetruthacademy.com to give reasons for faith, reasons for hope in our culture. Man, it's so desperately needed. Check it out today, thetruthacademy.com.
1: Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.